well. I hope you're keeping well. I hope you're getting on. We're sitting down here now with the one and only, the Lord and the legend, Rick Scott. And I'm sitting down with my sister. My name is Aaron. We're going to have a chat about this previous season of stories. And we had the lovely occasion to collaborate with Rick Scott on the Techie story. Is that the pronunciation, Rick? Am I getting this wrong? Not quite sure. Because um, I I did some research on this and I've I've heard a Manx storyteller calling her Tehi Tegi, um, but you know in qu- quite a few of these there's a, there's a hard hard kind of uh, hard kind of G. So, so mm. you've got Saint uh, Mackold uh, in these stories. So I've sort of I've I've sort of gone for Tehi Teki, but because um, it doesn't have an H. That might not be that might not be correct. I but. yeah, that it, <laughs> it it sounds like the kind of there's some of the some of the kind of sounds that you make in Irish are not actually it's very difficult to explain to an English speaker how to pronounce them because there isn't a letter for that and there isn't a sound for that in English. So it could be yeah. something like that where you've got a I, I tried to or, do I tried to do as much research on it as I could. Um and uh but I, I didn't really manage to have any discussions uh with manx people beforehand uh, i kind of discovered the story very last minute as i was preparing for the christmas special so the the research uh and development phase was uh, much more compressed than i usually prefer but well i mean that's not- that seems very fitting for your guesting story I'm on our podcast so because you're glad. so much more meticulous than we are on your research <laughs> Yeah, fair play. I, I think we're contagious. I think we're contagious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, you know, our kind of bodge job approach of like, I find this and it seemed interesting and I ran after it and this is what I did. Um. <laughs> and um, you did, in fairness, uh, have a couple of, because people often ask us this and it's often really, the first thing that comes to mind is, so when you when you found this story, you were intrigued by it. What was the the jump or the gap between the research and your creative input? Because that's always what I'm so super curious with retellings, recreations, trying to stick uh, and being kind of solid to what has been found, but also adding your own flavor or own flair or insight or joining a dot. So can you talk us through a little bit of your process, Rick, please? Because it was a fantastic story and I really enjoyed it. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, if... uh... Basically, it was as part. I was telling it as part of a cycle of stories. Um, I do a Christmas special, um, and the the uh, the the context of the Christmas special is it's always in the court of King Arthur, uh, and people are sharing stories. Um, and I'd heard of the uh, this tradition of uh, the Wren Hunt. Uh, and that there was an Aesop's fable about it called the Eagle and the Wren. And that was the mm. story that I was going to tell and which I did tell for the story cycle. Uh, and then at some point researching that story, um, I, I came upon this uh, sort of variant, uh, the, the hunting the Wren tradition, um, which sort of takes place on uh, the day after Christmas, uh, St. Stephen's Day in Ireland, Boxing Day uh, in England. Um, we found that there was a, a very specific uh, variant and story in the Isle of Man um, mm. about this character called uh, Tehiteki, who is sort of a, a witch or an enchantress uh, who's hunted down and becomes the wren bird. Um, and what I found was that there is, uh, there's a very, um, a very recognisable version of the story that is told um, and it is um, uh, comes from the, the version that's usually told comes from a quite famous collection of uh, Manx folklore, um, which was written by Sophie Morrison, um, sort of at the opening of the, the century. Um, but also, as I uh, read various of her articles and things, um, the uh, other people. Um, didn't necessarily tell a full version of the story, but sort of re- recounted the tradition and what it meant. And there was at least two of them that I found particularly interesting. Um, one um, was uh, a, an English trade official called Henry Waldron, um, sort of woke, wrote about uh, this story and this tradition. Um, and uh, he said that, um, he he mentioned uh, a different character in um, 
And this is the Macolt character, yeah? Or the 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 knight errant. Because you were Maybe. saying that there's kind of yeah. like there's sort of there's the story of Tehiteki like being gone d- done away with, and then separately there's a couple of stories about like she a knight errant comes and and does away with the goddess, and there's a different story about like this monk preacher who arrives with the coracle on his back, chained to him, going around because the place. Just such a great so, image, and like so stitching often. stitching those narratives together and giving an actual protagonist to the, mm. and then the goddess turned into a wren and flew away is kind of the the. That was the move, yeah. That was the the thing that you put together. Yes. Sorry, I I um I paused because I'd actually got the uh, the authors wrong. Uh, <laughs> Hen- Henry Rolls, who recounted in his book in Legends of the North, that uh, he said that when this famous uh, Manx saint Saint Macold came to the Isle of Man, he casts out all of the fairies and all of the fae folk except for uh, this enchantress who um... escaped because she transforms herself into the wren. Um, and then another folklorist, uh, Hannah Bullock, uh, later wrote about how uh, the enchantress was only defeated by, uh, she called him, them an unknown knight errant. But mm. since we already had that version where apparently it was St. Macold who cast all the fairies out, um, my version of the story, I, I thought, let's, um, you know, let's draw in all that fantastic folklore about this uh, yeah. saint and right. create this version where um, he's the one who uh, who casts out Tehi Tehi. No. Absolutely. And like that so often happens where you get a line or a little paragraph describing this amazing goddess or this amazing character in mythology and you don't have the background, but then you find the landscape or the location has another little link to something else and hang on they're, they're kind of mentioning the same so yeah it's joining dots and it's putting something together that perf- makes perfect sense and it's it's less of a tad bit an information bit about you know like oftentimes those tidbit? stories tidbit tad bit, tad bit <laughs> different no 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 not a tad bit <laughs> sorry um, <laughs> anyway like some of those stories and legends can be like sentences and you're like there's not enough meat in the bone yeah to really satisfy my narrative nature here like I need more to go on and so uh, it, it requires the author I think and, and I think you did it expertly in this story to, to it does create it, it. it gives you a little bit of opportunity to interweave and you know we often kind of talk about that as well the the um in some ways, the the tragedy of what is missing, but in other ways, the opportunity that you find in those gaps to actually create something and be creative and retell it in a creative way that that is interesting to you and hopefully interesting to an audience. But I think there was kind of some interesting stuff that struck um, myself and Aaron when we were listening to it. For the sure. first being the Isle of Man. And like we've talked a bit on this podcast about um, Man and Anne McLear. And the Isle of Man. I think we've done a podcast about Man and McLear at some point. We definitely um, do a live show. We definitely though. see this is this is where I'm like, damn it, which ones do we do a live show? Which okay, if we haven't done a podcast, let us know in a comment and we will do a podcast about Man and McLear. How about that? Um, we definitely meant to do it. Um, yeah, we definitely meant to do it. We're definitely if we haven't done it, we'll do it. But you know, let us know. Um, but Mananon, <laughs> Mananon's uh, like island, the Isle of Man is Mananon's home, and and in some versions of the myth, you know, most of the islands of the other world are off the west coast but Mananon's island is off the east coast and it's uh, Tirchangara the land of promise and it's this kind of magical mystical place that is his home and you know Aaron you were you were talking about the goddess Cleona who's really similar to Tehiteki um, the daughter of Mananon so talk a bit about that. Certainly I mean like one of the goddesses who was known to lure men down to the coast is she screams and apparently men love to fo- to follow her screaming um, or make her scream I'm not quite sure anyway either way <laughs> they, they end up drowning in the no I've told the Gina story and kind of left that little bit out because I wanted to make it slightly more um, less psychotic um, but it was just a detail that I thought it was really funny uh, that she lures men away by screaming or screaming um, it evokes them to kind of like wander after because she's uh, you know the queen of the banshees so it makes sense that she would scream and not sing Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And so she drowns on the ninth wave 
in um in in West Cork and and she drones men in that ninth wave as well uh Cleet Ton Cleaner the the wave of cleaner and yeah she is she's the daughter of Manon McLear so the tie-in she's becomes the queen of the band she she falls in love with uh, a man from the mort world and, and basically leads to her disaster which she shouldn't have done at all um because she ends up being brokenhearted and drones after it but yeah. the, the link i mean the, the link between like the shape shifting is something that they um, do on a, on a regular basis the fact that like they they that in this story becomes a rain and then a dolphin um you know the dolphin was a surprise yeah. as well, but well, also she's some way of, she's one of the two at Adanan, right? Like she's actually I mean, explicitly yeah. one of the two at Adanan, which is always interesting because like Mananon of the Isle of Man isn't always numbered as one of the two at Adanan. He's right. he's potentially predates the two at Adanan, which is that whole thing in in Ireland where you get those successive invasions and the two at Adanan a lot of people think of as like the original inhabitants of the British Isles, but they weren't. They were the third or the fourth because there were all of these other peoples that they displaced when they came back or, you know, invasions that didn't work or people who came and were killed by a plague or by Fomorians or by whatever else, by war or self-destruction. So there's, there's some interesting little kind of, there is yeah. indeed, and, and, and like, of resonances. course, to and will we'll crop up and, and create resonances all over the place. But the wren bird itself, the fact, the fact that she changed into the wren bird has quite a cultural significance in Ireland because the the wren hunt was something that our parents remember. And we were talking to, you know, sort of, you were talking to our aunt yeah. over Christmas about, yeah, the wren the, the hunt. And go on. She remembered, that. she remembered that. Well, it was kind of interesting. I was thinking about it because, you know, you were you talking about this, you know, the, there's the biblical story in this one, Rick, where you have like the betrayal of the saint by the wren who's like come into this bush that is a refuge and then immediately betrays him and turns him in. Mm. And like that, that was sort of thematically linked with this goddess promising like false salvation, um, which was really interesting to hear because I was like, what? You know, I've always kind of, I've often wondered about the, the tradition of the wren hunt and like, it's definitely one of those Irish Christian traditions that feels pagan. Um, oh, yeah. It's it <laughs> yeah. feels super pagan, and I don't know. And maybe if there's <laughs> if the goddess was a wren at one point, it was more about honoring the wren than killing the wren, because it was it was also um, it, if memory serves, it was about capturing the wren and not necessarily killing it, which is like extremely difficult to do. It's a small small agile bird little brown bird that lives in hedgerows and like really hard to capture and really hard but the wren boys would go out on St. Stephen's Day and try and capture a wren and put it in like a a bower put it in a kind of a a, I guess a cage a, a, a litter almost that they would then carry from household to household and there was like dressing up and there was dancing and there was mumming and there was all this kind of like you know they go around collecting you know coin for the wren or 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 a sweet or a cake which is kind of to me was really interesting because you know like Aaron was saying it this is within living memory of like our parents or at least our, our dad's family who lived in kind of rural Cork remember the ran boys coming around um but then you also have other Irish pagan-ish Christian-ish traditions that like didn't survive. I remember asking Marie about um, the Bree Jokes, which was a tradition I read about. I've only ever read about the Bree Jokes, which was a, a, a first of February Imbolg tradition where the girls of the locality, so the Rand boys was the boys and the, the, the Bree Jokes was the girls where the girls would all dress in white and go from house to house. And they were called the Bree Jokes or the, 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 the young breeds, the young Bridgets. And they'd go around houses collecting. And then, of course, the the super famous known around the world Samhain tradition that has become trick or treating, which was kind of exactly the same thing where you get up to development and you would go around door to door in the community collecting things from the door. So like yeah, there yeah, used yeah. to be at least three of these seasonal linked to the seasons, linked to something symbolic, linked to the other world, linked to goddess you know, processional traditions of going door to door, um, which, which, you, get, uh, you know. You get sailing as well, don't you? Um, it's the um, people going from door to door and I think it's sort of drinking cider and scrumpy and that kind of thing. Um, I think that was an English one. Um, Classic. 
It's always it, about drinking and crack. Like. Drinking and <laughs> drinking and treats and like, but it's it's or just, yeah. Like, it's interesting. I, it's interesting. I, these I, kind of door to door traditions that, that were is, around. <clears throat> but it's even interesting to see, like, I mean, you may mention Bridge Oaks. Like, in my mind, a bridge, a bridge oak is still alive today in the, in the little crosses or the the the, the well, the, that's a the that's solar. a different thing because a bridge sure. oak is a is a small child dressed up as breed going to your door, knocking on the door, and saying, "Give me a sweet." And right, and the Bridget's cross that you're talking about is still a thing that's done in primary schools, where they'll they'll make them. People call them bridge oaks. That's what I mean. The, the, oh, the do they? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So especially the the, the triple side were not necessarily the cross. Uh, you know they're they're called bridge oaks as well, mm. uh, depending not not barefoot, but um, so they're certainly known. So like, again, it's the carrying on, and we're we're looking at this story of Terry Thecky, which is like certainly you know a very obvious story of when when Christianity be, came into the the islands here uh, across the British Islands, and how you know pagan beliefs were were subjugated and pushed away and. In fairness, they techie doesn't sound like a very pleasant goddess. She just lures men away and drowns them. I mean, um, who's telling the like, story? You know, <laughs> yes, exactly. So we've we, we very little detail about her other than that she turns into a, a rain at the end. And she is villainized at the very start. We don't know any other details about her. And that's a very kind of biased reporting, it would sound, no? Um well, it's in, it's in, it's several aspects of that I find interesting. One is the a, a common thread throughout the stories about the wren um, is uh, not only in the hunt, but also going back to the original Aesop's fable about the eagle and the wren is, um, you know, it, you have this kind of like almost perverse thing about hunting this small, very quite like vulnerable bird. Mm. Um, but as you say, it's quite hard to capture, and the the idea seems to be that um, it's a trickster um, that it has kind of like usurped its place in the order of things, and so it is a um, a kind of um, illegitimate like monarch or form of authority. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's your false kid. That's the story. The Aesop's one is the one where it, the the king of the birds would be the one that flies the highest, and the wren hides in the eagle's back, right? Yeah, the the wren hides uh, uh, hides in the crafty the, little devil. He's a crafty <laughs> little the feathers of the eagle, and just as the eagles reach the apex of its flight and is coming down, the wren kind of uses Whee! what little strength it has to to jump up in the air. Yeah, um, uh, brilliant, and, brilliant. Uh, and then all of the things about the the and then the other all of the other stories about the wren, you know, betraying people like Saint Stephen. Mm. And there's apparently another another story that says when the Vikings were invading Ireland, the wren um, betrayed the Irish soldier, soldiers by beating its wings against their shields, and the Vikings were like, "Oh, there they are." <laughs> Um, so then we started hunting little fucker going get it <laughs> yeah but there's um, like there's there's really I think that the kind of the associations the mythology of little birds could be a series in itself especially kind of in the Christian era because you got like the robin the robin redbreast was was blessed because it was supposed to have pressed its breast into the into the thorns on mm. on the crown of thorns and like it's the blood that stains it still and like it's it was like it was the sympathetic bird at the crucifixion, whereas the ran was a little shithead. <laughs> it's true. Getting Although, you caught. In, interestingly, <laughs> another another thing that comes up with the uh, another link to the wren is that there are quite a few songs uh, about the wren, uh, but yeah. are also quite similar to an English song called Cock Robin, which are all of these these songs about a funeral for a bird. Mm. Um, some of the Wren songs are actually sung during the Wren Day parades and processions, but then you've got Cock Robin. It's just very, very similar structures and themes, and it, it's all the other birds talking about how they variously participated in in killing the bird or or preparing for its funeral. Um, and there's this uh, kind of uh, yeah, you've got on on the one hand you've got that thing about sort of defroning somebody, and with with Tehi Teki, you know, you can probably talk about how she's you know a female usurping power over mm -hmm. um over an island over the men and and therefore also kind of you know controlling their sexuality and their potency and that kind of thing as well but then there's also this whole aspect um 
with the hunting of the wren where there's kind of like an inevitability to it or it has to happen mm. um and that's kind of linked to some of these uh these ideas that you know where we, you know you can link it back to in bulk and things about the changing of the seasons um the the wren is also another piece of its folklore is that it is the winter king so mm. it symbolizes the uh the the, the passing of um of, of the winter king's rule and yeah that you have to kill the winter king to make way for the summer king and and that this is part of the kind of turning turning seasons yeah like that's right and, and again i mean I just my brain is going on robins now but like you've got your first robin of spring thing as well so i feel like if <laughs> i don't know if wrens and robins are that opposed in in folklore but sure. um it could just be what? my 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 head firing off associations but i think yeah. that's an interesting thing when you're talking about usurping power and usurping power and 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 kind of the links between power and sexuality and who is allowed to hold power because that's like there's a couple of interesting little connects in in this story to some of the other ones and one of the ones that i think is really interesting is like if we look at some of these stories as you know uh uh a waning of goddess power in the in these islands and a kind of a, a an upsurge of you know god power or or patriarchal power like it's a really interesting way to kind of look at some of them because the story of of Freyk's courtship of Finnever um, is one in which a huge part of it and kind of the emotional core of the story is not actually the love story between Freyk and Finnever, although that is that is happening. It's the absolute rage that Finnever's father has when he thinks that she has had sex with Freyk. Um, she has a ring that was given to her by her mother that she's not allowed to give any man except the man she marries. And it's a very clear very clearly coded symbol of her virginity and she gives it to Freyk by the river um, and her father sees it and when her father sees the ring in Freyk's bag he tries to kill his daughter he sets her up that she has to produce this ring at a feast and if she doesn't produce it he's going to kill her so like it's a really um, violent uh, like he he at, at one point throws a spear at her that barely misses her like he actually does attempt to to kill her um, but it's a really kind of violent uh assertion of his right over her and his right as her father to own her sexuality and like she's only allowed to give it away to the man that she marries that he chooses he chooses yeah um so it's there's interesting kind of connects as well in terms of like yeah it's a flip because there's that whole thing of like and i think there's also a whole thing of like the the desire to control female sexuality is is rooted in a fear of female sexuality because it's like this seems like it's too much power for someone to have over over a king therefore in order for me to rule i need to fucking take it away control it um cut it off do something to it there's an interesting like kind of thing that's going on that my head was firing off as well as you're talking uh rick uh like as the goddess kind of um power or uh, honorific kind of customs dilute and um, Christian beliefs come in. There's a doing away with uh, seasonal festivities. There's a, a, a dampening down of cultural activities around fertility and, and, and going with the moon, going with the seasons, going with, with the Celtic calendar wheel. And uh, in, in opposition, what you're finding, and it comes out in the story very, very strongly, is uh, you know the the saint and the Saint Patrick saying, "Well, you're misery. You're, you're you're not happy. Morally, you're corrupt. You need to live a more healthy, encoded life. Uh, you know, you're you're uh, to to be fundamentally happy and to be eternally saved. And and there's a shifting between an external um, kind of resonance with with the land and and the culture of of um, being in tune with the seasons and possibly fertility. What's going on with the land? And then going more, more internal and finding out what it is to be faithful, content, moral and incorruptible. And so there's a, there's a flip between the, the, the feminine and the masculine mm. there in, in that sense as well. You know, because femininity, if you're even to look at like Ken Wilber's idea of femininity is to... Is yeah, to, archetypally, fe- archetypally femininity is, is interconnected and masculinity yeah. is, is, is stands alone kind of thing. Like there's that... 
you know, and, and archetypally, you know, as we often was, as, as I like to make a point of saying, whenever we have these kinds of conversations, everybody has both masculinity and femininity in them. And like, it's not about men have only masculine energy and women have only feminine energy because we all need both. But like, there is that idea. I think that's a really interesting one to, to pick up on as well of like the interconnectedness with the land and season being like kind of pushed aside or demonized in favor of a much more interior um, contemplative of idea of eternal yeah. God that never changes world without end. Amen. Kind of thing, you know? Yeah. You do, you do get the fertility thing in the Tehiteki myth though, because there is a very, I mean, what, ha- what happens when Tehiteki really takes over and, and digs in in the story is that um, the men, um, the, the men it specifically says the men lose interest in their wives because they're all fantasizing about Tehi Teki, who, who they, they can't reproduce with. Um, and uh, what, what happens, the, um, the island uh, becomes unmanageable. The, the, the crops all die in the fields. They stop repairing their houses and the, oh, home, and the home is neglected and abandoned. So, yes, you've got kind of Machold um, coming in as, as this kind of, you know, he's, he's been converted away from this life of sin and life as a brigand. And he's, he's got that interior thing going on. But um, Tehi Teki's control of the island um, is, is shown to disrupt, you know, the... It disrupts the, the rhythms. In the order of the seasons. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is kind of interesting probably. as well, because it's also like that seems to happen as a reaction to him arriving mm-hmm. like he arrives and starts preaching and starts like actually getting through to some people where the previous monks didn't seem to be making much headway and he actually starts like convincing people with this coracle over his back which is just such a great image of a of a person yeah. shackled to the to this to this boat uh, that ends up saving everyone that ends up being the thing that allows them to cling on to when when Tehi yeah. Tehi floods them well, um, again, which is f- great like that's a that's such a cool image but but it's it's then like in response to his mm. preaching and making headway that she starts like doubling down and going no yes. you fucking listen to me and that's ultimately self-defeating because she'll kill them all she'll kill yeah, the whole it's, island it's interesting again when you get the different versions of the story so there are there are people who said oh Tehi Teki used to drown a couple of men every year in the sea uh, like it was a tithe. So mm. with that, you know, you almost have this idea of, you know, um, you, you know, the transactional sacrifice, you know, Tehiteki yeah. um, perhaps ensured the fertility of the island, uh, but the price was, uh, you know, the lives of, you know, um, a few of the men, pre- presumably fertile men. Um, which is then... like that just made me think of the tradition on the west coast of Ireland, which was that fishermen traditionally didn't learn how to swim. Because if you right. fell into the and if you fell into the water, your fellow fishermen on the boat would not pull you back in because mm-hmm. the sea claims her own and the sea is a woman. Mm-hmm. And that was their that was their secret. That was the belief for a really long time. So it's interesting that on that island, they had named the the kind of, you know, devouring That's sea cool. goddess mm-hmm. as Tehi Tehi. And it was it sounds like a very similar yeah, attitude. The late, it's the, the latest. Well, um, the other version of the story that is the more extreme one where she drowns basically all of the men of the island it's about 600 um and and that's obviously represents you know completely wiping out mm. the male population so it seems like a more extreme version that uh like you said might be a you know a reaction to this kind of uh con- conversion event um, yeah, 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 and I guess um, just to pick up on, on the other link that uh, is very obvious in this story and the, the story you told, uh, sort of of Freak, uh, the the you know the goddess's uh, boy play thing. Yeah, <laughs> the, the boy pet of the she. <laughs> the boy pet of the she. I knew I messed that up. Um, so there's the and it comes up in a few Bridget stories as well. Yeah, you know? I know we started this season with, with Bridget, and there's that story of, of her throwing the, the the was it a ring as it's well? It's her, it's it, there's a Bridget, there's a couple of Bridget stories where it comes up. There's one, I don't think we told it this time, but there is a story of Bridget saving the life of a noble woman, uh, or saving her from a marriage she didn't want because this is a noble woman who 
a man wants to marry her that she doesn't want to marry. He gives her a ring and says, I'm going to claim this ring back from you in a year. And if you don't have it, you, if you your forfeit is that you have to marry me. And he then immediately steals the ring back from her and throws it off a cliff. Um, and then I, the woman goes when the year is up and he comes to claim his his prize, which is her. She goes to, to St. Bridget, usually St. Bridget in this story and like begs for her intervention. And Bridget goes, don't worry about it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a meal. We're going to talk it all out. And Bridget serves a fish that swallowed the ring and hands it to the guy and goes, there you go, fuck off. (laughs) 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 Which is kind of, which happens almost exactly in the Freyk story where this, the ring is the symbol of the girl's virginity and her father throws it into the river and then says, if she doesn't produce this at the feast tonight, I am going to kill her. Um, the, The way he says it in the, in the, the source text I found was like her lips will be pale, which is like a synonym for death, like she's going to die. Um, and her mother kind of tries to talk him out of it, but he's absolutely adamant. But Freyk was there and saw the ring being thrown into the river and saw a salmon catch it and swallow it and caught the salmon immediately and threw it up on the bank. And so arranges for it to be given to Finever. And then lies through his teeth, like makes a big speech lies about like absolutely lies, says she <laughs> nobody ever gave me that ring. I found it. I said it looked like it was going to be important. And so I put it aside and then I saw you throw it in the river. I saw the fish eat it. And here it is now. And nobody, nobody did anything out of the way. Um, and like it's it's a kind of. Yeah. And then you're ob- like, obviously, obviously you've, you've your the version of it where. You know, you know the the key is of for your mind's shackles is gonna come up eventually. Gonna turn up some point. It's gonna eventually like it's it's waiting. It's like the gun in, in, in the checkout play. It's gonna go off eventually. Where's it gonna go off? And you're waiting for it to turn off at the very very end. Uh, and he's full of emotion as is, as as the key is brought form. And yes. it, it's it's arrived from kind of like divine deliverance. And it's like it's it's kind of a funny one of changing kind of between the the rings that this prop up uh, uh, mystically and amazingly and his faith like power that like all just happens at the right time and then i love the the the, the i don't know the counter the, the flip of yeah frag just lying through his teeth. just lies just super <laughs> duper lies a lot to her dad and is like she never gave me any rings i never saw her the before lesson. today that is the lesson. doesn't matter what the father asks you you lie <laughs> you lie. You lie. There's always a few white lies, and there's sometimes a bigger but, lie to be had. Which, which again is really interesting because, like in that in that setting, you know, in the Bridget story, it's about saving a woman from uh, the the control of a man who she doesn't want to be involved with, who's trying to manipulate her into into this marriage that she doesn't want. And in the you know in the Freak story it's a very like I said it's a very it's very much about controlling the sexuality of the daughter and the father's control of her sexuality and the, like the absolute rage that he feels when he thinks that she has given this away and then in the in the Tehiteki story it's Tehiteki that's doing the controlling of the male sexuality and this is a symbol of I guess it's a symbol of penance and, and a symbol of release from penance because he's carried this boat. He's done everything. It, it came in useful uh, in the fight against the goddess, like this thing that was, you know, weighing him down also that lifted is, him up. Uh, I have to say that is something that I added a little bit because um, as I said, the, the Mackold story, um, the, the, the only source that attributes him being, involved in that story is basically one sentence that said he cast the fairies out um but there is uh, there's a very obvious part of the story where where you know the the water comes in and drowns all the men apart from in a couple of stories it says there were a few left who tried to to grab her so i thought well he's got a boat on his back so yeah <laughs> yeah i like how, it how did those men survive uh, yeah maybe the coracle was uh, was uh put together lifeboat <laughs> i think it's a great i think it's a great it way of bringing it, it back in because it doesn't always like the checkoff gun rule doesn't always happen in mythology because the stories can be a bit fragmented so you often have that gun is just left hang- hanging over the mantelpiece in a very unsatisfactory way so i i liked it as a way of bringing it back in you do um, you need you need you needed that it would have been 
freaking out if you left the phone in his bag. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it's an interesting uh, kind of accidental season that we ended up kind of doing this this time around our own goddesses because we started off looking at Bridget, you know, the, the goddess, the 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 saint and the conception story which is very much a two of the Dan story and by the way if you haven't checked them out on youtube go check them out on youtube yeah go check them out on youtube because we uh, did three amazing artists about a collaboration um it was a nice collaborative month actually which feels very goddess you know interconnecting (laughs) bringing Um, other people in but let's talk about should we talk a little bit about tay about your (laughs) Yeah, so I was going to move on because, like, I guess we just were watching the shift. No, no, you're dead right. We're watching the kind of shifting of, as we talked about it, you know, pagan into Christian, goddess into patriarchy, you know, fertility into more kind of individualism, uh, beliefs, you know, the system being kind of moved and changed. And it's so annoying oftentimes. And in in, in two of these stories, we, we ended up with male protagonists, which always makes the stories kind of better to have full-rounded goddesses in the background. I always think, yes, to know that Freik is the is the nephew of Boad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she's such an, an abundant, brilliant, brilliant goddess. But then you get someone like Taltu, and there's so little there and so frustrating to try and tell it. And I, I, I had a very interesting micro story for you in, in that I told this on uh, just last week um, to Kitty McGuire and her circle on Zoom of, of women talking about menstruation and making that kind of a more rounded, psych- cyclical kind of conversation. I was the only one without ovaries in the whole conversation. So it was very, <laughs> it was actually a lovely, I was like, thanks for having me, I guess. Um, yeah. But they kind of wanted a, a male voice in there. And as a result, I had to really go down the kind of, into the rabbit hole and go, right, what is it now? about Taltu that that kind of can lean in and, and be something significant uh, now and there's so little there about her there's so little there's fragments there's the Anak Taltu which were like the Irish Olympic Games the kind of the, the games that were held in her honour and she was one of the fear bulls. she wasn't one of the two of the Dan and she mm. stayed afterwards and became the godmother of Lu Law Father and again the kind of the mother, the mothering nature of these gods, Boan of Freik, um, or Baby of Freik, and, and uh, Taltu for Lu, and having a strong matriarchal figure behind a, a, a strong man made him even stronger, or made the kind of yeah. whole well, it's, learning it's, a little stronger. It's a huge thing in in Irish myth, isn't it? That comes up over and over again. Is like the 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 greatest heroes are trained by women. Um, the great, you know, Fionn McCool is trained by, is raised by two women in a complete isolation and, and Cúcullin, of course, has his training with Scahawk. So there's this real kind of like interesting little thing. And as you say, Aaron, a lot of the times the stories of the women's are not, or the women are not there. Like I, I, you know, often think of Scahawk because I remember having a conversation with a, with a, a researcher at one of our shows. I think it might've been Richard Marsh. who was like, you know, based on the way that she is talked about. It, there's no doubt that there was a Scahawk epic. She is mentioned in such a way as to suggest that there was an epic of Scahawk, but right. it's gone. It was maybe never written down, or maybe it is one of the many Irish texts that are were given away as gifts during the colonial period, or were hidden in bogs, or were hidden up roofs, and or and were you, destroyed. As soon as you're still giving back, like you look at Knock On, yeah, she bit off the ear of of of, of a king. You know what else about her? You see here, Cleena, she do- drowned in a wave. There's fragments, and you really yeah. have to go searching for them. And oh, Cleena's linked in with with the Blarney Stone in in Munster. Oh, uh, the, the Queen of the Banshee. You know, the, oh, Boan is is the is linked to the the River Boyne. But there's not a huge amount of characterization anymore yeah. in them, and and so you're only left with kind of fragments. And and I, I rang you before talking on the uh, the, the menstrual circle um, because yes. I, I needed to ground down. In, and, uh, <laughs> Listen, talking yeah. about menstruation is very grounding experience. <laughs> very Even when it's not happening to you at the moment, it's a very right. grounding experience. You can't really get away from that. I mean, <laughs> everybody was just like chiming in on the chat and telling telling everyone where they were in their own cycle of 14 days 20 la, la, la. you know and it was just like this constant kind of like oh that's where you are okay i i, I haven't bled yet i just started bleeding like okay i 
yeah I'm having, that's that's, that's, really that's good the cycle know. that you are outside of <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I felt like saying which way which way am I dressing left or right um no I yeah do that. <laughs> so I mean it, but it, sorry bad joke but the, the, the Taltuian um kind of a goddess then is as I talked to you about her main claim to fame or, or memory is the fact that she cleared uh, and her, it's her death story she cleared a forest around the hill of Tara and the labour was so intensive that she died and Lou in her honour uh, set up the Taltilian games or the Enoch Taltu because she requested it for communing for law and governance for uh, safekeeping of elders and, and everyone going into the winter so they all had lodging and for fun and crack and that mm. was like how society needed to be kind of handling to come together yeah. for a good reason to have good crack and sort some shit out <laughs> understand is, the laws of governing and understand how to take care of each other i think um, it's a really interesting kind of you know idea of goddess you know we talk we can often talk people can often talk about goddess culture and you you know it, it just becomes a space for projecting all your wishful thinking about what needs to be set right in the world. But I think right. the, the Taltian games and the, the, the Taltu story and that whole tradition is really interesting kind of in that it gives you the three main things. These were her three main priorities and all of them center on community because right. it's all of the, and like, you know, that thing that we're talking about, if the masculine is about individualism and the feminism and the femininity is about interconnectedness, those are all ideas of community, but there's also the balance because there's a competition. So there's a competition to see who's the best one. So you get your little ego points, you get your little individuality stuff and you get that out of the way. And then, and you have fun with that. You don't take it too fucking seriously because that gets into trouble. And then you get straight into, okay, how do we live together in harmony? That's law. That's what law should be. Um, is is how do we actually settle disputes among the community such that the community can still live together? And then you have a question of, okay, what are we doing with the people who don't have anywhere to go this winter? How are we taking care of them? How are we taking care of our elders? How are we making sure everyone has shelter? And like that, you know, and and then the the it's almost like the the competition is what gets people in the door and then it's like now yeah, you're here yeah, yeah. right now we now, can sign on the line there now, now just, uh, everyone's everyone's stand. here everyone's had a run around everyone's been fed and watered and has gotten it gotten it all out of their systems and had their little fights now we got some fucking <laughs> we got some business we got some business to attend to which well, is just that, such a great like community administration idea <laughs> yeah the, the whole run thing itself has this whole like idea of the the scapegoat doesn't it there's this psychic enemy the wren um and everybody chases it and hunts it down and kills it and then and then in some of those songs about the death of these birds the the community coming together is is about the funeral it's like it's like it's like all of that negative energy was focused to destructive effect and then afterwards people are kind of a bit sad about it and that and they kind of come around with the they bond over the funeral in the morning of it perhaps it's just I think it's a really interesting I think that's a really interesting contribution because I think it is it is true that that's like that's one of the shadow sides of community is that sometimes you need those sort of rituals to get rid of your or to like exorcise your resentments because like it's one of the central I think tensions of of you know being a human is that interplay between individuality and community that we all have to deal with and I think a lot of, you know, I was actually meeting, had a lovely uh, dinner out with friends, uh, some of whom I haven't seen in about five years since the pandemic, like since before the pandemic. That was two years ago, sorry. I know, but <laughs> there were a couple of people that I hadn't seen for like a, a year before that, you know what I mean? Yeah, or I hadn't yeah, seen yeah, for a while yeah. before that. So like they were, you know, a group of people who many of you know, we, we were kind of kept exclaiming about, you know, we used to actually do this quite regularly. We used to go out for dinner in town quite a lot. Um but everybody had sort of was talking about their experiences of the pandemic and the lockdowns and the like the isolation of it and like some of us had a great fun for a little while where it was like this is great nobody is demanding no there's no demands on me to go out and socialize this is actually lovely I'm getting the time that I never usually get to actually be a happy little introvert in my little house and, and be by myself and then the point at which you know you kind of go, oh, I'm going a little bit loopy. Um, I haven't had human interaction for a while. I forget 
how to human. And I, but I think it's it's interesting. And, and then the other people who were locked down with families where it was yeah. like, I didn't get a break. I didn't get a single break to myself because I had kids hanging off me 24 seven and there was no getting away from it ever. Uh, and I was locking myself in a room to work and and or like just never getting any time to myself. So like, yeah, yeah. I think those high levels of stress, high levels of stress both in both ways, which I think is the kind of, you know, the the thing, the point that I'm groping my way towards. Groping, like, you're groping yeah. something anyway. I'm not you need, what you get there. You Keep need groping, both. My more. point, I think my main point is we need both. And everybody <laughs> has a different level of how much they need the community and how much they need the individuality. But we all need both. My, my funniest whole, the, the whole thing that cracks me up about this the most is that like Soroka came to at one point and went, hang on. I, I thought you were always making me do gigs and I didn't want to do them. But now that I haven't done them in ages, I want I want to do the gig. Where are the people that applaud me? I need the applause. I absolutely, genuinely, that was a real kind of realization for me. I was like, I never went looking for this. This was always something that I was, I felt like I was kind of going along to. And then I was like, no, actually, I really fucking like it. Um, yeah, yeah, and I really yeah, get a course. huge amount out of it. And uh, But it's it's interesting how that, you know, um. And, and that, I, that, yeah, there was something about scapegoats and communities and dark sides of communities as well. But I think there's yeah. a well, I, th- I think I think again, coming the coming together, the Taltilian, the like not only was it was it sports and equestrian and, you know, like displays of strength and skill. It was bardic traditions. It was singing. Yeah. It was contents of, of spoken word and, and, and wit and chess and cunning and guile. So like it's not necessarily that you needed the the applause and you needed the gratification or you needed the ego boost. There is that as well. But there's there's something about doing something that you're fucking good at and thriving in the enjoyment of doing it. Mm-hmm. And when you get to do that, if you get to play your sport, if you get to do your run, if you get to do your swim, whatever it is that you get to do, and you get to do it in a community of people also do it at the same time, you get yeah. a massive sense of enjoyment, elation, connection, and sense of belonging. And mm-hmm. that gets people that's where it gets people to go okay now let's talk about how do we govern ourselves how do we communicate how do we operate and only from that level of kind of level of contentment internally and possibly externally as well with communion in terms of the land and the seasons do you get and that's why the games were the first of august lunasa it's the Mm. harvest festival it's the time to come together it's the time to have the feasts and that's why i think it's it, it, it is both the the recognition of of the individual and the uh, culmination the how to c- come yeah. together and experience that in, in a more and profoundly it, and it's a very well. clear illustration of like you need both like if you've too much of one you you've got the tahi tahi fucking drown everybody and if you've too much of the other you've got the um Stay we need to we need to fucking we need to control people people are having too much fun can't fucking yeah. have that need to put them back in their little boxes um and, and whereas if you have both, you know, both yeah. is the balance. Another, I mean, another aspect of that, you know, you're talking about recognition, but a lot of these involve disguise as well, don't they? Yeah. And, you know, the the costumes and the, I think they call it guising, don't they? So you... Yeah. I mean, that's a form of play, I think. Like, no matter, like the Rain Boys, you know, that whole sense of play and lightness and enjoyment is, is certainly... A kind of an anecdotal idea of like just enjoy yourself, have fun, be. It's it's you know, play, but I I think I think you're I think there's something about like putting on a different guise gives you permission to play. Yes, because yeah. even like if you're wearing a mask or you're wearing a disguise, everybody fucking knows who you are. But you don't. There's a there's a certain remove you can take on a persona more easily. Like we often talk about this in in kind of storytelling context of like putting on your performer hat like you have your invisible hat that's your performer hat and once you put that on you've put on a little bit of a persona you're not quite you anymore you're you're projecting something and I think that that's that's a really important like psychological aspect of like even if you're wearing an eye mask like you know the carnival thing of like having those elaborate masks they don't actually hide your identity they just give you like a layer of plausible deniability where you're like, this isn't me sexy today. Kind of I'm not being me today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the sexy Zara masks, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on, and on that note, I think 
um, as we're wrapping up on, on, you know, you always want to find the note to end on. I think the sexiest yeah. mask is Aaron, definitely where it Aaron went. fancies Ren boys. That's the that's the note we should have. On. <laughs> Damn it! Not again. Anyone with an eye mask? <laughs> pretty much anyone yeah, yeah. with an eye mask. Yeah, it's yours. Pretty, it just <laughs> does it. Um, so come here, Rick. Where do people find lore and legend? How do they get in? touch how do they listen to your lovely soundscaped and imaginative creations of podcasts and stories uh yeah well um you can find us at www.lawandlegend.co.uk oh the uk is always a tricky one yeah okay no worries carry on and and on on all good podcast services if you look for lauren legend you can find us on spotify or or apple or whatever and we've uh we've got two main series uh one's uh sort of celtic myth and legends and the other is about the the greek gods of dream Um, Mm. lovely uh, a bit, of, yes. a bit of hypnosis. I love that. And and um, we will we will be doing a, a a kind of reciprocal collab at some point um, yes. to do with to do with cats. <laughs> yes, the next series of Lore and Legend. I haven't actually officially announced this on my. Oh, sorry. Yet, so, <laughs> um, Maybe I should shut up. Then. No, no, it's all right. If you uh, you get a get a a special preview if you're listening to this podcast, but the um, the next series that we're putting together is uh, is about the the folklore and mythology of cats. So, Amazing. Um, we we definitely have. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. very excited about that one because we're, we're we're supposed to do something for it. Yeah, we're going to do a story. <laughs> we're going to do a story. And we will find it in our dreams, no doubt. Um, so we will also be. Uh, yeah, when this comes out, we'll we'll have a plan for next month's podcast. Um, <laughs> Till that moment, um, feel free to get in touch uh, with what you would like to, us to do for you know continuation of the year. Any stories you haven't had us tell that you really want us to tell, uh, get in yeah. touch with ideas or suggestions. We're coming up with them the whole time. We um, are, yeah, we're literally currently out of podcasts as we speak, which gives us both the heebie-jeebies and um, we have to yeah. get the recording. So we... Uh... Uh, we keep we keep promising ourselves every time we do a bunch of podcasts that we're not going to get it back into this position, and then you know, every single time, reliably, <laughs> reliably, three months later, it happens again. Um, it's, <laughs> it's great. That's our season. That's our it's, rhythm. That's our kind of you know yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. cycle. Anyway, thank you All so right. much, Rick. Um, I believe when this podcast comes out, we also uh, will have an upcoming event. Oh yeah, which is our feast. Uh, we are going to do, uh, uh, we've linked up with, uh, is it the Tin Roof in Bray? The tin Roof, beautiful. Um, I was in it last night. Gorgeous, lovely, cosy, nice food. A fantastic chef who wants to be known as the Candlelit Cooker, uh, which is the, the Candlelit Cook. And he's come up with a beautiful t- like five course menu of locally sourced ingredients prepared with exquisite care. And we are going to be uh, having a feast there. We're going to be... Um, telling stories of the Fianna in between courses so if that tickles your fancy uh there are tickets are out and you can get them and please I, go and go and I love, love it when people come and say hey I'm deadly this thing want to do a thing with stories with me right I'm like a great chef usually it's musicians but this time it's a chef so you know hey love it win-win love, love it. it so um check out our website kind of tales for, for any more details or go to laurenengines.co.uk to check out Rick and his stuff. The links are in, in below. And we'll catch you next time. Yes. Thank you very you. much. And Slán Gafol. Okay. <laughs>